today's scripture is from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. You may follow along in your pew Bible on New Testament page 204. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world's. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, you have figured out by now that we are talking about kings today, one king in particular. To do that, well, I think we have to start by admitting that we have a little bit of a problem. Our kids actually demonstrated to the us this, this to us pretty clearly in the children's sermon, and that is that here in the modern U.S. of A., we do not take kings very seriously. I suspect it stems from something that's pretty deep in our collective national DNA, right? How did we start as a country? We started by saying nope to a king. We said no thanks, we do not want to be ruled by you. In fact, whenever I hear the word king lately, I immediately think of Jonathan Groff's portrayal of King George III in the musical Hamilton. There's King George from Hamilton. If you don't know the show, King George's part is very small, and it's meant really just for laughs. He's a buffoon in the show. In response to hearing that America wants to be free of his rule, King George's first song, it starts like this. I'm not going to sing it, sorry. No. But he says, you say the price of my love is not a price that you're willing to pay. You cry in your tea, which you hurl in the sea when you see me go by. And then he sings, you'll be back, time will tell. You'll remember that I served you well. Oceans rise, empires fall. We've seen each other through it all. And when push comes to shove, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. Well, the crowd at Hamilton, the show, they love King George because he's ridiculous. And for the most part here in 2021 America, we think that about all kings, don't we? We think royalty are a little bit ridiculous. Yes, we might be fascinated with the British royal family, but that's because of their drama, not because we wish our tax dollars went to support a monarchy, which is fine. I'm not saying that we need to all of a sudden have a love affair with kings and queens. But our attitude toward royalty is something we have to realize, we have to acknowledge, and then we have to set that aside in order to encounter the Bible. Because the Bible, the only form of government that it knows is kings or emperors. Same, same, right? The Bible only knows about kings and kingdoms. The writers of the scripture, they could not imagine another form of government. They had no clue what an elected president would do or be like. They lived in a world of monarchs and absolute power, and these guys, all mostly guys, all guys in the Bible, who ruled until they died. And it's not like kings play a small part in the Bible. 
They're not a little bit character. We find hundreds and hundreds of mentions of kings, the word king in the Bible, including referring to God. Jesus himself talked about kings and kingdoms all the time. And when other people saw Jesus' power and they were trying to figure out who he was and what he was about, they asked, are you a king? That's the only referent that they had. After he was resurrected, the scriptures proclaimed Jesus as king, now and forever. In fact, you know, the other name that we have for Jesus, we call him Christ, that's actually from a Greek word, Christos, that means the anointed one. It means the anointed one, and the anointing to which the word refers is about being made a king, when one is anointed by God to be a king. So when we talk about Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name, you understand. When we say Jesus Christ, that's a way to say that he's king. Jesus is the Christ. He's the king. He's the anointed one, the one we claim as our ruler, our sovereign, our monarch, the one whom will rule our lives and him alone. So obviously when we say Jesus is king or Christ is king, we don't mean he's like George III or Queen Elizabeth or any other modern day or historical monarch. We don't mean that. So what do we mean? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> this week and next week, we're going to look at two verses of scripture that help us understand what it means to call Jesus King. Now, next Sunday is actually Christ the King Sunday, and that's the last Sunday of the Christian year. The next Sunday, the 28th, we start the whole story over again with the season of Advent. So we're coming to the end of the story now in terms of the liturgical calendar, which is a big circle. We're at the end, and where does the story end? The story ends with our exalted king. Okay, today, to help us get a handle on what it means to call Christ the king, Stephanie read for us from the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews, it's more of a sermon than it is a letter. Likely, it was meant to be passed around to a group of churches to encourage them to share wisdom with them. But it starts out not with a dear so-and-so. It starts out with this excellent theological summary that helps us see what it means to call Christ king. And all this theology is packed into four verses that in Greek is actually one very, very, very long sentence. Luckily for us, the English translation puts in commas and periods so we can read it a little easier. I'm going to read it to you again. Just listen for what it says about who Jesus is. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he'd made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. All right, let's just unpack that for a minute. Through Jesus, God has spoken. And Jesus is the inheritor, the heir of all things. Jesus inherits the entire world and the whole cosmos, actually, from God. The scripture says it's through Jesus that God created the world. And, you know, the beginning of the Gospel of John actually tells us this same thing, that Jesus is the very word by which creation was spoken. Hebrews also says, 
that Jesus reflects who God is. Jesus is the very imprint of God's being. In other words, when we see Jesus, we see God. Now, this is really important. It's something that Christians had a lot of fights about in the first centuries of Christianity. They asked themselves, how are Jesus and God related to each other? Is Jesus the same stuff as God is? Or is Jesus some kind of lesser form of God? Is Jesus the son, is, is he like a secondary kind of God? And the tradition of the church affirms for us solidly, no. Jesus is of the same substance as God, the exact imprint. Or I love the way the Nicene Creed says it. Normally, if we say a creed in church, we say the Apostles' Creed, but the Nicene Creed is actually much more beautiful. It was written in the fourth century, and it says this about Jesus, that he's the only son of God. He's begotten of the Father before all ages. He's God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, and through him all things were made. So when we see Jesus, we see God. We see the fullness of God's glory of the Almighty God. Hebrews goes on to say, Jesus made offering for our sins, right? That was his death and resurrection. And now he's seated at the right hand hand of the Father. That's the most honored seat that there is. The Nicene Creed, it says the same thing, that for us and our salvation, he came from heaven, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will not end. All right, that's a whole lot of theology that's packed there into those first four verses of Hebrews. And it tells us a lot about who Jesus is, not so much about what he did as a person who was walking around Galilee 2,000 years ago, but who he is as the eternal son, as the second person of the Trinity, as Christ the King. These verses, they remind us that we don't want our Jesus to be too small. Yes, we love the stories of him encountering lost and hurting people. We love to imagine him sitting around a table with his disciples in the home of Mary and Martha. We love to remember him as a tiny baby born to young parents and laid in a manger, but that's not everything that he is, not by far. We follow, we worship, we give our hearts to one who is an eternal king, the exalted Christ. We do not want our Jesus to be too small. Because there are a lot of people in the world who will tell us, hey, Jesus, that guy, he was a great teacher. You know, he was a great teacher. He had some really good things to say. I like a lot about what he said, like, like how he talked about loving our neighbors, And how he said that thing about turning the other cheek. I think that's pretty good advice. But there's a lot of people that that's all they want out of him. They just want some nice sayings. They just want some chunks of wisdom to help him get through the day. That's as much of Jesus as they want to have. But that's not all there is to Jesus. He wasn't just a good teacher. He was that, but not just that. He's also Christ the King. He's God. So yes, he taught us how to live a certain way, how to value humility and mercy and have arms open wide to all and welcome the outcast and make sure everyone has a seat at the table. Jesus taught us all that. And then, 
And then he's the one who has the power to make all things new. He's the Lord of all creation. He's our king. And do you know when that second part matters? Do you know when it matters the most? When our world is coming apart. When it seems like things just can't hold together anymore. When we're stuck in a place of pain and turmoil and injustice. In those moments, we need a whole lot more than some good advice. In those moments, we need to know that there's someone beyond ourselves who's ultimately in control. When we're in those moments when it seems like all is lost or things can't get any better, that's when we need desperately a savior. That's when we need Christ our King. And because we know that Christ is King, we don't, we don't have to rely just on people of good ethics and courage to make the world right. I mean, we want people of good ethics and courage to help make the world right. Of course we do. It's not hard, though, to look around the world and say, you know what? The people of good ethics and courage, they have a pretty big hill to climb. And they're not making a lot of progress some days. So on those days, we especially need someone beyond our politicians and our activists and our friends. Someone who has the power to save and make the world right. This is Christ, our King. We can say he ultimately has control, so we don't have to. Now, this doesn't mean that, that we're off the hook somehow to work on the brokenness of the world. It doesn't mean that we just see the evil or pain or harm in the world and we say, oh, no problem, I'm not going to do anything. Jesus is going to take care of it. No. We want to be participants in God's kingdom, where we're going to talk more about that next week. We want to be the ones who live with kingdom values, who work alongside the king to make help, the, help make the world right, but, but ultimately it's not ours to fix. We don't have to have all the answers. We just have to work for the things that Jesus tells us are the things of God, peace and love and mercy and justice. And we do that in small, everyday ways, and we do it in big ways when we can, and the rest we leave up to Christ the king. For example, I suspect that I have told you before that I listen to a lot of NPR. Junkie, right here. Some of you are too, and some of you would never be caught dead listening to NPR. That's fine. Look, look how we can worship together, even though we get news from different places. Isn't that amazing? Well, the last two weeks, NPR has been having constant coverage from the climate summit that just finished in Scotland. Maybe your news source has talked a lot about that too. So every morning and every evening, I have been listening to stories about how serious climate change is and who's going to suffer as the world continues to warm and how politicians are a really long way from figuring out how to, how to fix it and debating and, and, and struggling to figure out how to do this without destroying the economy at the same time. Climate change it is so big, and for me, it is so scary. It's so complicated. I mean, how do we even start to sort out the solutions, the politics, the controversies? How do we begin to solve it in a way that doesn't destroy jobs or leave people behind? And so for the last two weeks, as I've been hearing all these stories, and, and I find myself putting another aluminum can or piece of cardboard in the recycling bin, I find myself asking, does this even matter, what I'm doing? And if this does or doesn't matter, what, what should I be doing? Should I go buy a Tesla? Is that what I need to do? 
I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's so easy to get fatalistic about something as big as climate change and, and either say, forget it, I can't do anything about it, I can't be responsible, or to spin down into some really dark place about how the world is going to collapse in on itself before the end of the century. And you know what? Neither of those are helpful places for us to be. Not practically, not spiritually, not emotionally. So in moments like that, internally, it's a chance for us to remind ourselves that we are loved by and we love Jesus. Who, you know what? He never said anything in his earthly life about carbon emissions. We cannot go to the Bible and find out exactly what Jesus, the Galilean, thought about climate change, but he is Jesus Christ the King. And that means that we know ultimately he's going to be the one to fix the brokenness of the world. He's going to be the one to make things new and make things whole. How's he going to do that? I have no idea. But I believe in God's power to do things beyond what I can see or understand or imagine. Now, knowing that and putting my trust in Jesus Christ the King, it doesn't mean that I'm going to stop doing things to try to help the planet. I'm going to keep doing what I figure out I can do, and, and I hope that you will too. But because we trust Christ our King, we also can refuse to walk around like people who have no hope. Because we have hope. We always have hope because of the one who ultimately rules the world. We trust in the one whose kingdom has no end. Now, I have to warn you, the world is not going to give us any credit for this. They're going to call us foolish. They're going to tell us it's crazy to believe in God's power to make all things right. Okay, let them say what they will. And let us be the ones who turn back again and again to the one who was there at creation, the one who was resurrected for our sakes, the one who sits at the right hand of God, ruling with justice and peace. My challenge to you this week is to simply take a moment to pray to Christ the King. Share with him the problems that feel so big that you don't even know where to start. Share with him your worries, your fears, and then pray and ask him to do what only our king can do. Ask him to give you reassurance that only he can bring. And ask him to move in a way that only he can move. Praise him for being the one who saves. Praise him for being our king above all kings. Thanks be to God. Amen.